Hello, and welcome to the Development Debrief with Catherine Van Zippel, the stories-based podcast that interviews professionals, donors, and thought leaders in the field of fundraising. Today, I interview Rich Berlin, co-CEO of Dream. I ask him about his origin story at the organization, their leadership structure, board management, and his views on fundraising. There are lots of things that make Dream stand out in New York City and an impactful place to work. This episode is special because Dream is currently searching for their next chief advancement officer. About halfway through, you'll hear an ad for the position, as well as a site to go to with potential candidates. Please think about who could be a good fit for this role as you listen and learn more about Dream. Rich Berlin, founding chair of Dream Charter School, served as Dream's executive director since 1997 and became co-chief executive officer alongside Eve Colavito in 2021. Mr. Berlin began his journey with Dream as a volunteer baseball coach in 1994. During his tenure, Dream has grown from a summer recreation program with one staff member to a thriving community-based organization recognized locally and nationally with numerous awards for programmatic and operational excellence. Dream now serves over 2,000 youth from pre-K to pre-college across East Harlem and the South Bronx through a growing network of inclusive, extended-day, extended-year charter schools and community sports-based youth development programs. Mr. Berlin holds a bachelor's degree in political science from the University of Wisconsin at Madison and attended a master's in political theory at the London School of Economics and Political Science in London, England. Additionally, he's completed certificate programs at Columbia University's Institute for Not-for-Profit Management in both nonprofit management and leadership development. Now let's get started. Rich, welcome to the debrief. Thank you for having me. It is great to be here. So you have been part of the dream staff and the dream leadership for a very long time. And I, I want our listeners to get some context on you. So I would love to start with how you started working at dream as a baseball coach. I got involved with this community-based organization called Harlem RBI uh, in 1994 as a volunteer baseball coach, me and a couple of couple of my college roommates thought it'd be a cool thing to coach a little league baseball team. And so we did. We had this ragtag group of 12 and 13 year olds who we coached to a one in 10 record before turning our lineup upside down and telling the kids that we were done trying to push and prod them to be better ball players. And it was up to them to to figure out whether they were interested in being here. And the kids ran off like 12 straight games and we ended up playing our championship in Yankee Stadium. Oh my um, gosh. Which we lost 17 to one, but, but we were there. And I learned a very valuable lesson about the power of youth and the importance of giving them agency and control of their own destiny. And, and uh, equally as important, found a lot of meaning and deep connections in those relationships on the ball field and subsequently became the executive director of this, what was essentially a volunteer-led community-based Little League, and that has evolved uh, over the last 25 years or so into something with with equally as much heart and joy, but a little more substance and, and hopefully impact. Our Little League baseball program sort of found its way into summer learning and then after school and multi-year youth development. 
and then in uh, in 2008, we opened our first charter school with just a kindergarten and first grade. Today, we run five pre-K through 12, a continuum of pre-K through 12 schools, and also make a fairly heavy investment in post-secondary success, both to and through college, but also careers for our kids. Serving today, uh, a little over 2,000 kids with plans to grow our network to more than 4,000. All in all today, it's about a $50 million nonprofit with an annual private raise of, of close to $15 million, in addition to a $55.0 million capital campaign that's going on at the moment. A lot of ground covered in our time here and, and a, lot, a lot more ambition ahead of us. Um, all centered around deep and lasting impact with, with young people in underserved communities, um, specifically East Harlem and the South Bronx. And, and I'm, uh, I'm fortunate enough to have been here the whole time. So now I'm Incredible. unemployable in all other contexts. Um, and uh, and if, if I'm good at one thing, it's finding amazingly talented people, much smarter than mm -hmm. me to do, to do the work of this organization and got an incredible team here. I mean, are you still in touch with any of those original players back in the nineties? We're in touch with many of them. 17 wow. of them are full-time employees here in the organization. What? Yep. Um, so cool. Another, another 30 or 40 of our graduates are, our alums, uh, are, uh, are part-time employees who are which probably means they're they're in some working their way through college. We've got a couple of those couple of those ball players from back in the day on our board, several on our next generation board, our ambassadors. And and you know, really when we think about the definition of success here and the idea of transformational generational change, the person sitting in my seat, the person sitting in the board chair seat, the single largest donor, the head principal of our high school those should be alums that should come from our network. Um, and that's, that's really what sustainable transformation looks like in our view. So, so that's another generation of work away, but you can sort right. of see it from here, which is exciting. And in terms of the impact that you're providing for the students in this community, is there a broad range, you know, for some, is this adding an extracurricular experience that they wouldn't otherwise have? And for some it's life-changing. I mean, can you talk a little bit about that? Back in the day, you know, we used to do what I, I guess I would call, you know, to some degree watering the leaves where you would be getting at kids later in their development and doing something that was seasonal or annual or temporal in some way. You know, now we really try and engage with most, most kids, if, if not in early childhood, no later than middle school and, and stick with them into young adulthood and uh, not only be a place where they experience and benefit from academic rigor, but develop social emotional skills, become healthy physically and mentally, and, and hopefully also forge deep connections, which allow them to return to their community over time. I think we get children here who would succeed in any environment. I think we get children here who, where this place is 100% of the difference and there's a lot in between. But what I would say is like the investment here is intended to be a difference maker. And there are some things about our population and the way we work, which are fairly specific. One is that we serve a very high number of special education students, close to 30% of our students in the schools are, you know, have, have some sort of SPED designation that's higher than the school districts in which we work, which are pretty yeah. high. Um, we have a teaching model, which is co-teaching throughout, meaning two professional teachers in every classroom, which support that uh, and ensure that, that we're meeting all the needs of our kids. 
We're also an extended day, extended year program. So to be a dream scholar means you're here from 8 a.m. to 6 or 7 p.m. every day, and that you're also here 12 months a year. Our, our summer program is different than our school year program. It's a little more enrichment oriented, but again, designed to really, um, really engage with you deeply over time and, and make sure we're not just getting at core needs, but a lot of interstitial stuff, which we know can sometimes be the difference between a kid recognizing their potential or, or being derailed along the way. Sounds like you're filling a lot of gaps, the morning, the evening, the summer. Um, yeah, I mean, you, so you, you know, it's interesting. So you we're, we're, we might be your first charter leader, but in many ways, we don't always think of ourselves as a straight down the middle charter school. Right. Um, the world has departments of education and youth and health and after school and summer. And, and that's mostly the way that public money flows and, and to some degree, private money flows too. You know, we, we think of our place, we, we think of, of Dream as a community where kids learn and grow. There are some very specific ways that you do that that are, that are specific to school or specific to after school um, or relate to physical health or mental health. But mostly kids are developing all the time. Charters are unique because you get a lot of money and a lot of autonomy to do, to do your work and, and really allow us to design a model that we think serves the whole child and the whole family and the whole community and, and does so in a, in a way that we can not only sustain but grow over time. Well, let's go back to that game that you played in Yankee Stadium. What was your vision at that point? Where did you think this group was going to go? I wish, God, I wish, <laughs> I, I wish I had, you know, if, if only. Mostly when I look back at my 25 years, I think about how limited my vision was. And if only, I thought I would do this for a year or two. Um, and I would, you know, we, 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 it was a pretty scruffy, to call it even a nonprofit, might have stretched the, the bounds of credibility. But I, I thought I would stick around for a year or two and get this in some sort of place where I could trust it would be here when I left um, and that I would go figure out what I wanted to do with my own life. And that was that was 25 years ago, more 27 years ago now. That vision really comes for proximity to the, to the kids and families who we serve and listening carefully as to what people feel like their needs are and figuring out if we're in a position to respond to them. And I feel, I feel really deeply that for organizations like ourselves, that the people who should be telling you what to do and what to do next are the people you serve. And that once they've done so, if you, have, if you think you have the capacity to do that, you have an obligation to do that. And that's really been the orientation behind our growth. We believe organizations are either growing or dying. Dying doesn't doesn't sound real fun, but there, there's no stasis, right? There's no like, oh, we're we're good here. We'll just stay this thing. Um, you couldn't do that if you wanted to. The dynamism that comes with being a high growth organization creates its own set of challenges. I think it creates amazing opportunities. I think it attracts amazing people, and I think it creates energy for the kids we serve too to, to be a part of something that they can see fuels them. Those those seventeen. Now, young adults who work here always tell stories and talk about what it used to be like. They're worse than me. They're like, you know, hmm. we used to walk to school uphill in the snow both ways. And, you know, I think they take great pride in sort of this grittier, less shiny version of Dream or Harlem RBI that they were part of. And they also recognize that what they're part of today is building something that that 10 years from now, these kids will say, oh, I wish I had that. Like this place wasn't, wasn't as good as we are. And I think that's what 
you know, that's the type of organization we seek to create. I wish I could have seen it all um, way back when. I would have saved myself and other people a lot of headaches. Well, when you talk about being a growth organization, you know, how much is fundraising part of that, you know, that ability to grow and morph and change? I think it's a big part of the sauce. In our earliest days, when we were like a little league baseball program, the only money we had was private money. There was no institutional public or private money that supported like little league baseball, even, even in a tough community like mm-hmm. on East 100th Street. We didn't know what major gift fundraising was. We didn't even know what fundraising was. We just knew we needed money. There were a lot of guys in New York City who thought that like baseball like saved their lives and like, oh, like go, go ask them for a thousand bucks to sponsor a team. And then you start figuring out, oh, if you, if you ask these people for money every year, they'll give it to you again. And maybe they'll even give you a little more. But so having sort of grown from this base of unrestricted dollars into a much more institutional mix of money, like made really, really clear to me at an early time that, oh, like the, the major gifts money is really transformational, right? It fills the gaps on what the institutional money doesn't provide for, which is substantial, both from private foundations and, and public sources. But it also allows you to innovate. It gives you slack, which most nonprofits do not have, particularly ones working in low-income communities. Most, most large businesses have huge amounts of money dedicated to R&D, have huge amounts of cost built into like great ideas that never get off the ground or bad ideas that never should have been implemented. Like we're not immune to those things either, but most nonprofits are expected to sort of figure that out. So if you're really, if you're really serious about growth and not sort of choking on it, like you've got to have capacity and the only place you're going to get the capacity from, in my view, is, is from a really strong fund development program. Dream is searching for its next chief advancement officer. Originally founded in 1991 as Harlem RBI, Dream has grown to annually serve more than 2,000 youth across East Harlem and the South Bronx through a network of pre-K through 12, extended day, extended year Dream charter schools, and community sports-based youth development programs. Dream's Grow the Whole Child model embodies a commitment to rigorous academics, social-emotional learning, deep family and community engagement, and health and wellness, creating lifelong learners who are equipped to fulfill their vision of success in and out of the classroom. The Chief Advancement Officer will develop and lead Dream's experienced seven-person advancement team to drive an ambitious fundraising strategy, raising over $20 million annually and spearheading a $50 million capital campaign that will lead Dream into its next phase of growth. Dream's unique position within the education and nonprofit spaces combined with its best-in-class board and donor base, make this an incredibly exciting opportunity for someone with a strong track record of impact as Dream continues to deepen its roots in New York City. To learn more about Dream and to apply, visit wearedream.org jobs. You can also refer someone you know for a $1,000 reward. That's wearedream.org jobs for more info.
Well, let's talk a bit about your board of directors. You know, we all know that group is so important for all of our institutions. So how have they evolved and grown over the years? And how would you talk about that group today? The board has, of course, always been at the center um, of our fundraising efforts where, you know, in the look in the early days, like like a lot of startup boards, they were much more hands on. And in many cases, you know, advising on the thing we did as well as we as well as how we pay for it as we've professionalized and grown the organization. Most of the knowledge we need to run this organization exists inside of it. And if it isn't here, the people who work here have a set of relationships that can support and advise on that. And so the board, while it offers a critical strategic voice and and is involved in policymaking at a At a very high level, they are a resource development board, and they know that first and foremost, their job is to be generous personally. Their job is to open their networks and twist arms of their colleagues and family and friends, and their job is to replace themselves when when the board gets to a place that like, okay, well, you know, that's not my league anymore. In our organization, we, we try and be high accountability in our work, and we try and make sure that accountability does not simply flow downward, but also upward to our board. This is the end of the year. So this is the month for our board report cards, which means uh, myself and my co-CEO, Eve Colavito, and our board chair are on the phone with every board member talking about their performance for the last year, talking about their goals for the year ahead. That won't all be about money, but in the age of COVID, when you've got a big capital campaign going on, it'll be a lot about money. Uh, and relationships, and and um, you know they they understand what their job is. They understand that you know nobody's here to have their name on the stationery, so to speak. It's not it's not that kind of place. And they understand that you know when we're looking for new board members, we're always looking for people who can sort of punch in the top third, I'd say, of the board. And if you don't feel you can get there yourself, the the board doesn't exist for you. You exist for the organization. And people got to think hard about that. And I think that really drives people's generosity and engagement, performance. Um, It's also a fun place to be. People like each other. People care a lot about this work. And some of personally, like the the best mentorship I've had in my life has, has come from our board leaders too, who are really exceptional in their in their own fields as well. I've never heard of a board a, like a trustee report card and that is fascinating to have. So can you tell us more about that? It sounds like an effective tool. You know, more than anything, I would just say it's a culture builder. I mean, when mm-hmm. we when we first rolled it out, it made some people very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> they didn't they didn't like the amount of transparency it created. They didn't like that, you know, essentially you know, while it may have been delivered by the chair or the vice chair of the board, obviously staff was compiling the information and deciding what was important. But over time, it sort of became this thing where people, every time they did something, were like, that's on my report card, right? And and people are like joking, but maybe only like half joking. Um, it brings the student out in them, it sounds like. And it does. And and we've got a lot of straight A students. You know, straight A students don't just get A's in history and geometry. They want A's in chemistry and all the other subjects and all the other things they do. And they're looking around a little bit. And I think we have been able to manage in a way that certainly for folks on the board, it creates sort of healthy competition, but, but all in the name of, I'm not trying to beat you. I'm trying to be as supportive as I can for the organization. Mm-hmm. 
The other thing it does is it really helps in recruiting board members. So you can be extremely clear about what high performance looks like on paper. It makes very clear what high performance, high engagement looks like. So you reference your co-CEO. Can you just give us a description of the leadership structure? Because there are so many subsidiaries within Dream, I think that would help us think about it. There are multiple pieces, but it really is one business. There's sort of two nonprofits. Charters are required to be their own nonprofits, and then there are multiple multiple schools within the charter. But it's all one business and one mission. Yves Colavito started here as a part-time director of instruction at our first school. She then became principal. She then became head of school. Then she became head of all the schools. At this point in time, over 90% of our team report to her in one vertical or another. And I mostly do money in, money out, real estate, and a lot of the politics and policy. So all that is to say, probably 80% of my time is focused outward and 80% of Eve's time is focused inward on running the core business. Um, I think yeah. we do believe that your, your CEO should be close to the work and Eve is much closer to the work than I am in that respect. All that said, Eve's proximity to the work makes her an extraordinary salesperson. And particularly when talking to institutional supporters, I don't think it's a leadership structure that work, would work everywhere for everyone, but Eve's an extraordinary partner to me, and, and, and I try and meet that bar for her on a daily basis. I think we're both people who believe that like, there's not an answer to your hardest problems. There are, just, there are choices you make in solving them and consequences of those choices that you manage toward, and as long as, we're, as, long as we agree on what the end results are, we're in pretty good shape. And in thinking about leadership and talent, what kinds of employees thrive the most at your organization? There's definitely a type. Our our leaders are whatever it takes folks. They understand that these jobs by nature are pretty unreasonable and it's going to sort of take an unreasonable effort to achieve their goals. At the same time, particularly as we've grown up as an organization and we've grown up as people within it, you know, it is, it is not our expectation or desire that people burn themselves out or, or leave these jobs fried. Like we're all old enough now that we have families and we have kids of our own and, and we want some balance in our life. So we work real hard and we work a lot but we support each other for the most important things. While this has gotten to be a, a pretty sizable nonprofit with a $50 million P&L, we still refer to it as family. Dream is family is one of our maxims here. Um, we take it pretty seriously. And I think more than anything, it's a sense of not only responsibility and accountability for the mission, but responsibility and accountability for your peers and the folks who work for you and who you work with. Um, And the collaborative tissue in this organization is strong. And and that probably leads the last piece of it, which is this, this is a team. And we tend to think you can sort of, this this goes to our baseball roots, but we we really believe that if you want to go far, do it together. Um, You know, if you want to go fast, do it alone. If you want to go far, do it together. And we really, we want to go far here and we want to do it together. Um, And we believe that you can almost break up the world into people who've grown up playing on teams or participating on teams and those who haven't. Yeah, so true. Understanding how to collaborate and be a great teammate is core to being successful here. Of course, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about the fundraising team. It sounds like you've been part of fundraising from the beginning as it's evolved, but what is your involvement now and how big is the team? And tell us about the campaign. So many questions. Yep. I probably like I have a, a strong affinity for fundraising and I and I do consider myself 
the chief sales officer. There aren't going to be too many of the biggest gifts closed here without me being in the room at some point or another, probably at the end. But we have an extraordinary team. It consists of today, I think, 10 people. We have our own internal events teams, and they do both fundraising events and events for the organization. A few major gift officers, research, and essentially a a director of advancement operations. They are exceptional and really high-performing and really goal-oriented and really, really attentive to the most important thing, uh, which we believe are relationships. This is a cause which must be in your heart if you're going to give to it on a consistent basis and if you're going to grow your gift. So we um, take great care to take great care with our with our donors to ensure that we know a lot about them um, and they know what about them will connect with with the stuff that we care most about for our kids and communities. It is it is really, really hands-on work, but we feel that's what that's what drives it. And that, you know, that isn't just something that exists at the top levels. Do you have a typical donor? Or is it a pretty, I mean, are most of your donors in New York City? Certainly most of our donor base is very New York City centric. It's mm-hmm. grown a little bit outside of that, but I would guess 95% or more are New York based. I don't know if I would say we have a typical donor, in in all honesty. We've got a really wide cross-section. We do a lot of intentional work around different affinities, whether it's by professional sector. We've got a vertical for women. We've got verticals for young professionals. We're trying to grow diverse networks of donors, particularly through through our alums uh, and their networks. You know, 10 years ago, our primary goal was to was to get our donor base to be a little more finance centric than it is today. We think it's it's too heavy finance. Hmm. Um, we want it to be more tech. Um, we want it we want it to be more media um, and more creative capital. And so we're working on that too. But but we sort of think of this as a big matrix. You know, more than anything, what I would say about our strongest and most connected donors is that they, you know, they find a place in their heart for dream. What was the most exciting gift you were part of over the last mm. couple decades? Wow. It might be a hard question to answer. Yeah. When we did our first capital campaign, it was a $20 million campaign. And I think our budget when we started the campaign organizationally, and I mean whole budget, public and private, was 3 or $4 million. So a $20 million campaign was like pretty ambitious. And I'm not totally sure we knew the path. But there's a lot of things about working in these contexts where if you wait until you absolutely know you're ready, you know. This isn't an Ivy League school where you can map out the campaign. Like, you know, there's there's gonna be some risk. But we had an early donor who was in a really influential spot and made the first seven-figure gift ever to our organization and decided they would go chase a colleague of theirs, sort of a distant colleague. And and we knew that that person go would be a big part of this ask. And so we brought them in and this person had lots of people come sit on their couch asking them for money. And we gave the whole pitch and and he said to our donor, he said, and he said, well, I'll do what you'll do. And he's like, well, I, well I, I've already made a million dollar gift. And then he like paused because he was clearly going to be tough to one up. So he was, he was like, you could see him going through his head is like, how am I going to give this guy? And he said, well, I'll match your gift, but only if you help me raise money from my team. And so then he committed to his million dollars on the spot and walked down the offices of every single leader in his firm and told them how much money they were going to give. <laughs> and of those eight people who collectively gave another $3 million themselves, um, I think seven of them are still donors for the oh organization. Oh, my gosh. 
it was like this really transformative moment to be a part of, you know, we, like he raised more money in four minutes than like was our annual budget. That was fun. That was fun. <laughs> you know, you can have these dreams and hopes for what you want to do and then just surpass them and then surpass them again. And that's just, it sounds like the story of your organization. You have to inspire giving, you know, what, what I can tell you right now about our current campaign is we have a big inspirational vision it's tied to. We're, we're transforming a historic 200,000 square foot building in the South Bronx. It's gonna be amazing. We've got a world famous architect. There are gonna be 1500 kids in the building from the lowest income community in New York City. It's a big campaign for our organization. And we did not enter it knowing, and we still do not know all the ways we're gonna close this. The lessons over time is that little visions attract little dollars. Mm -hmm. And and there's, there's always, you know, you wanna always make sure you can deliver on what your promise is, right? Like whatever that beautiful building ends up looking like, what happens on the inside better be a hell of a lot more impressive. And so you're always thinking about that. But I think these things go hand in hand. And I think they, I think they don't just inspire giving. I think they, they motivate the people who come to do work with kids every day. And I think they motivate and inspire the kids who come here every day also. Yeah. Is there anything else we should know about that campaign? We're, we're probably going to build one of the most famous public school buildings, not only in New York City, but in the country. So exciting. So exciting. A little scary, too. And it was and it was particularly scary and frustrating over over most of COVID when you couldn't raise a penny for it because it's tough to inspire giving to that type of project when you can't take people to it. But we've had a good fall. So we're getting there. Good. Well, thank you for telling us your story and I would love to end with my signature question, Rich, and I'm excited to hear your answer on this one, which is what do you know for sure? I know, I know a few things. I know that while people are lots of, lots of different things, everybody has goodness and generosity in their heart. And that is mostly like waiting to be inspired. And, and you never know what button to push to, you know, some, some people have the button, they wear it like right out there and other people, you got to work at it and you got to find it. But I think if you believe in your work, you'll always find it. I believe that deeply. And I also believe that while our world has just enormous complicated problems that I know that like our imagination can solve anything. And this work at Dream is, is all about our imagination, our belief in a more just and equitable world. And, and that's what motivates connection to this place and, and our lesson over time that I know for sure is this place is part of the solution. That's what's kept me here all this time. And, and that's what attracts the people who work here. And most important, that's what attracts our, our children and families. Thank you so much. Thank you. Rich shared with us a motto of his team. If you want to go fast, do it alone. If you want to go far, do it together. If this is the kind of place you want to learn more about, please let me know. I hope this episode serves as a reminder that we can all grow and lead and change with hard work. If you're based in New York City and have an interest in this role or know someone else who might be, please be in touch. I would love to hear from you on LinkedIn or via Instagram at devdebrief. I appreciate the power of our network and look forward to hearing from you. Thank you so much and have a great week.